0: Welcome back, welcome back, welcome back. Faithful listeners, new listeners, and everybody in between. Episode seven of season two of Journeys into Whiteness. I know that this season, I had a listener comment to me recently, and she was 100% spot on. I know that this season has dragged on a bit. And that content hasn't been being produced and published at the fast and furious rate that maybe many of you wish it would be. My apologies. Real talk. I wish, shit, I wish I could put put out a new episode every day. But in order to do something like that, this would have to be my full-time gig. So if anyone's got some like corporate influence or contacts who can get me that Joe Rogan money, sidebar, Joe Rogan's podcast is ooh, problematic on so many levels, but sidebar, again, if you can get me Joe Rogan money and I can do podcasting full time, man, I can get y'all an episode a day. I can get y'all multiple episodes a day um, until that happens in the unlikely event of that happening. I am just going to have to appeal to your sense of patience and grace and understanding. But I do try to keep these episodes churning, keep them coming, keep you engaged, and to keep them topical and relevant and all that. So I really, really am trying to to do what I can. Just trust and believe that, because I don't like it either when there's weeks, or in some cases, months that go by in between episodes. It just doesn't sit right with me. So, with that in mind, hopefully you are listening to this episode, episode seven, not too long after episode eight has come out. Sorry, not too long after episode six has come out. Look at me, I'm so excited to get my numbers mixed up. And this episode... Man, I'm excited about it. Y'all know I say that about every episode, like any good salesman, but I'm extra excited about this episode, but I'm also extra nervous because I'm worried that I have bit off more than I can chew with this episode and not from a complexity standpoint because all of these episodes are. Multi-layered, multi-faceted. They're complex. None of them are easy necessarily for me to talk about, and I understand that some of my black listeners don't want to hear that, right? And I don't, I don't blame them. Like I don't, I don't think white people realize, as I myself just probably did in a second ago when I made that comment. Although that comments correct, that it's not always easy to do these episodes and think through them. and But the last thing I think our black brothers and sisters want to hear from us white folks as allies or co-agitators or whatever label is, is trending is how difficult it is to talk about racism. White people love saying that or implying that, as I just did. And it's not because it's not necessarily true. Like, I think... There is some truth sometimes from that statement, especially when white folks are doing what I hope to do with this podcast, especially when we're addressing our own personal behavior, our own past, the behavior, the beliefs of people we are close to, family and friends. I know that's not an easy, easy thing to do, white folks. But I'm just going to ask us all collectively to not do what I just did. And not complain about how hard it is to talk about racism. Because I can only imagine that our black brothers and sisters, that's the last thing they want to fucking hear, right? Like, because as hard as it might be for us to talk about it and think about racism and to confront it and confront our own privilege, it's got to be infinitely harder to live in a racist society dominated by white supremacy and white privilege. And so I just, for lack of a better phrase, it's just not a good look, white folks, to constantly remind the real victims of white supremacy how hard it is, quote unquote, to talk about racism and to approach racism and to confront racism, even though it's not always easy. I get it. So I know I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth. Y'all should be used to that by now. I try to just be as honest and upfront as I can with these conversations. So I realize that I'm saying it's hard, and I'm also saying we shouldn't complain about it being hard. I I know what I'm doing there. But that's life, right? Like the complexities of something being more than one thing at once. And this episode is all about that. This episode today is all about something that is multiple things at once. For me personally, on a micro level, but even on a macro level. And this is an episode, I mean, you could devote a whole podcast to just this episode today. And so that's why I said a second ago a moment ago that I'm worried about doing it justice, not because of the complexity. That's always a worry of mine. Every topic's complex. Like I, like I just got into it's the breadth of this topic. There are just so many things, so many directions that this topic could take me, could take us that I am worried that I'm not going to cover all the angles, but the good thing about running your own fucking podcast. Is that A, fuck it, right? If I don't cover them all, then that's life. But B, more, more seriously, you guys are going to let me know what I missed. And then I can circle back to it. That's one of my, one of my favorite things about this is like this ongoing conversation I'm having out here with you all. And how it seems very one sided at first glance, like I'm doing all the talking. But in reality, I get all this feedback. These emails, these social media posts, these texts, these calls, and the conversation is really not one-sided at all. And you guys really force me to rethink consistently things I have said in these episodes, ways I have portrayed myself, ways I have portrayed bigger societal issues relating to race, white privilege, white supremacy, and all that. So I guess with that being said, anything that I leave out in this episode, I trust that you all will alert me to it. And with that being said, let's jump right in. And this is going to go in a lot of directions, because at first I had a very narrow topic in mind for this episode, and then in my mind, as I outlined this episode and thought about where it could go, that narrow topic became broader and broader. So, This episode is basically white people and black culture. More specifically, white people and black music. Even more specifically, white people and Bob Marley, comma, white people and rap music. And originally, I was just going to focus on Bob Marley and how white people... Absolutely adore Bob Marley and what that means, how that ties in to socioeconomic issues like race and privilege and cultural appropriation. And then the more I thought about the love that white folks have for Bob Marley, like the insane, intense love that white folks have for Bob Marley, the more I realized I couldn't just talk about white folks, specifically certain white folks, but we'll get into that. White folks, I couldn't just talk about white folks in Bob Marley and white folks in reggae. I realized I had to add in rap music. Something else that white folks fucking adore. In many cases, on like an obsessive level, right? And I really just want to explore What that obsession can mean and why that obsession could be, and notice I'm using this this word could, this conditional word, could be problematic. I'm not saying it is problematic, fact. However, I'm definitely not saying it's not problematic. I just want to explore the ways that white folks, white people, specifically myself, Like, this is all, once again, through the lens of my own experience, how my love of rap music, how my love of Bob Marley can be problematic, can be dangerous in terms of me being a real open-minded, open, clear-eyed ally, co-agitator. It can be dangerous in terms of how it intersects with all the topics that we discuss on this podcast. Topics like racism, white privilege, white supremacy. And so that's where we're headed. White boys, black music. That would be the subtitle if I had to give this episode one. And I don't have an a conclusion in mind, believe it or not. And I know some of y'all are like, well, of course not. You're fucking rambling every episode. But this episode, more than many, I don't know if I'm going to be able to put a bow on this and tie this all up. I'm going to try to. But I think, like I often do, the more I think about this topic, the more I just have some questions, and the more I just want to bring up some kind of stream of consciousness type, type of stuff that runs through my head, Because I certainly, and I keep telling y'all this, and despite the tone of my voice, and despite the fact that I act like it, I'm not an expert on any of this stuff, and so I think I'm going to leave this conversation very open-ended by the end of our 40, 45 minutes together. But let me set the stage first. Let me give you some context. And although my story, like everybody's story, is intensely personal, I think all of my listeners, whether they know me or not, is going to recognize quite a few archetypes in this story. My story is not, as personal as it may be, and maybe this is this is true to humanity in general, as personal as this story may be, it's not necessarily unique. So let me start. In my adolescence, probably ninth or tenth grade, I fell in love with the music of Bob Marley. That right there is a statement that I feel like millions of white boys could make. Millions of us. White boys and men. Now, here's the thing. I don't know, and I don't believe it is so, I don't know... If Bob Marley is as popular today in 2021 with white teenagers as he was, and I should say teenagers and and people in their 20s, kind of high school and college age students, as he was in the 80s and 90s, I don't know. I get the sense that he's not, but I don't know that for certain, so I'm going to have to do, I don't know how. I know I teach teenagers, but I'm going to do some more research, honestly. And I'm not necessarily concerned as much, for today's discussion anyway, with what current teenagers are doing. I want to focus on, like, like always, my own experiences. So, like I said, I fell in love with Bob Marley, 9th or 10th grade. Fell in love with rap music at about the same time, maybe slightly even later maybe closer to like 11th grade. And it doesn't mean, obviously, I didn't listen to rap before 11th grade because rap music, like many different forms of of black music, although even that label probably needs to be interrogated, right? Black music implies a singularity that, that just isn't necessarily accurate. Um, and so I want to be mindful as we discuss things today whether we're talking about music or culture in general, that there is no such thing, at least I don't think so, as black music or black culture. There are various forms of black music and there are various black cultures, but I think, and this is kind of where the discussion is going to take us anyway, that this obsession with singularity, especially amongst white folks, of putting the black experience into one single paragraph is, is A, inaccurate, but B, more importantly, pretty dangerous, but we'll get to that. So I just want to, want to give you a bit of a preview and maybe a reminder to myself as we discuss this, that, that singularity is, is often inaccurate and frequently dangerous on a micro and macro level, but back to my context. Fell in love with Bob Marley, still love Bob Marley, to this day, we will listen to his music very, very often, on a weekly basis, playlists, Apple Music playlists, all kinds of albums downloaded, loved him in high school, have very fond memories, like, I feel like, and I know this is true, almost all the music we're exposed to as teenagers, right?, or that we really get into as teenagers, but I feel like Bob's music got me through some shit in high school. Like I remember riding around my dad's truck, listening to various tapes, naughty dread, confrontation, you name it, Babylon by bus. And just vibing out, and like, I know it's fucking cliche, but like, I really do feel like his music helped me in some way in high school, right? Like, helped me kind of just deal with all the fucking feelings that, that adolescents and teenagers have. Now, what I don't know about Bob, although I do know it about rap music, and we'll get to rap music in a second, I don't know exactly how I first got exposed to Bob and what drove – well, I, I guess I know what maybe drove my love of Bob, but, but I don't know what drove me into his arms. Um, I do know, although many of my, my friends, some of whom are, are much bigger fans than I am, or at least much, much more educated Bob Marley fans than I am, would would deny this for themselves or laugh about this. But I do know that Legend, the much maligned greatest hits album that I think every every teenage boy from the 90s at some point owned, or at least every teenage white boy from the 90s at some point owned, I do know that Legend was my first exposure to Bob. And then I begin to delve much deeper into his discography and the discography of the Wailers. And started to you know buy buy things from their early sort of sky period all the way up until the end of his life. but i don't know I don't remember what what drove me to kind of dip my toes in the in the pool of Bob Marley. But I do have some pretty strong guesses as to why I stayed swimming around in his music. At least at that age. And a big part of it, and this is what I think a lot of white people, and a lot of people in general, I don't want to exclude my black brothers and sisters in this conversation when I keep talking about how much white boys love Bob Marley music or how much white boys love rap music. Because obviously black people love both of those as well But A, not being a black person, I don't want to speak out of turn, but B, I know, especially when it comes to Bob Marley, I feel like white people have an obsession with him that is beyond what, even in my experience, most of my black friends had. Like, my black friends would, and still to this day, enjoy listening to Bob, but weren't necessarily falling head over heels. I want to get married to him and understand every single thing about his life on a granular, granular level like white boys were. Like, think of it this way. If you, walk, if you walked into a college dorm in the 1990s and you saw a Bob Marley poster on the wall, chances are that was a white boys room, right? And I think a big part of the appeal of Bob, the obvious appeal for myself, and once again, this isn't what drove me to start with Bob, but this is maybe what drove me to, to fall in love with Bob, is on a real basic level, weed. I had a very unhealthy obsession with marijuana as a teenager, and Bob Marley fit right in with that for two reasons. A, his music is just a vibe when you're high, but you could say that about a lot of music, right? But B, I believed at the time, and this belief isn't to- totally inaccurate, that he also shared my obsession with weed, which by and large he did, right? Like smoking marijuana is a, is a ritual for Rastafarians and so that's what drove my initial love of bob marley this dude is talking about weed he loves weed weed is awesome weed's going to save the world and i think that's what drives a lot of white people a lot of people a lot of teenagers i should say drives their love of of bob's music especially in the eighties and nineties, when maybe discussing drug usage and music, which wasn't absent by and large, but, but wasn't as ubiquitous as it might be today. Finding someone who would talk a lot about weed really felt like they were just the tit, right? Like nothing was cooler than that. But then I kept thinking more deeply as I prepared for this podcast about the love that white boys seem to have for Bob? And is it driven just by marijuana love? Like, is that the Venn diagram, or is there something more to it? And when I say love of Bob, I need to back up a second. I love Bob so much that I went so far as to try and grow my hair out Not wash it, put some honey in it, and and grow dreadlocks for myself as a white teenager in the 1990s. My efforts were unsuccessful. But that's – those efforts speak to the more problematic nature of white love – of black music that I'm going to get into or various forms of black music that I'm going to get into a little bit later once I talk about rap. But I did want to leave out that, that fun nugget for my listeners. And those, those of my listeners who knew me in high school probably remember a period where I just let my hair go fucking crazy and didn't wash it and really thought that I wanted dreadlocks and only because I thought they were fucking cool. Like there was no, I knew about the Rastafarian religion. I've always been a fairly avid reader so I can't claim I was even ignorant of the the cultural significance of of dreadlocks, but that wasn't why I wanted them. I wanted them because I thought they were fucking cool. Bob had them. Made me look badass. Made me look like a rebel. They never came to fruition for various reasons, mostly because A, my white boy hair wasn't going to lock up, and B, my efforts to make it lock up were pretty pretty haphazard to begin with, but I want to return to the the dreadlock part in a little bit. I worry the more I think about Bob Marley now as an adult and I, I understand too that for many white listeners Bob introduced them to a whole range of reggae music whole range of Caribbean music and that it wasn't just Bob and that it was groups like Culture and Toots and other Roots groups that they got into And that their love of reggae has continued to grow. For me, that happened to a small degree. But for the most part, it's been all or nothing, Bob, when it came to reggae music. But I wonder what it is, I guess, with white people loving reggae music. In particular, Bob Marley. And part of me can't help but wonder. And my white listeners, especially my white reggae fans, some of whom are my best friends. And I'm speaking to myself, too, because like I said, my love of Bob hasn't diminished at all. If anything, it's grown as I appreciate him, the complexity of his, his melodies and his musical ability and the complexity of his lyrics. If anything, my love of Bob has grown. But I wonder if part of the reason white people love Bob Marley and love reggae music isn't related this idea that Bob Marley represents a black archetype for us. That he, that we, in other words, that that many white people, because I know, at least in college, I knew white boys who were fucking Republicans who loved Bob. There are Trump voters, I guarantee you, who love Bob's music. And I can't wrap my mind around it, right? Like, Bob Marley Although we might have focused on the weed as teenagers. He's the furthest thing from an apolitical rapper that there is, right? He's the most political. Pick a side, in many ways more radical than we gave him credit for, with his critiques of colonialism and neocolonialism, his critiques of a neoliberal economic global system, his support of pan-Africanism and black pride. Bob is a political rapper, so how is it that so many white boys can love him? From across the spectrum. And seemingly love him more than they love. This is an issue we're going to get to with rap as well. More than they love actual black people that live in their communities. More than they love their black co-workers and their black peers in school. And part of me can't help but wonder beyond just the sheer musicality of it. Maybe that explains some of it. But does Bob represent some kind of stereotype that white folks like to consume? That with his locks and his Rastafarian religion and even his weed smoking and his accented English, if he's not some, something exotic that, that is akin to us white folks looking at something in a zoo, right? Like, we appreciate Bob because he's, we don't view him as fully human, but he's like this sideshow for us. And then that got me thinking about rap music, which in 2021, and this, this process was beginning even in the early 90s when I was in high school and throughout the 90s into my college years, but this is a process that has totally taken over. Rap music is mainstream as fuck right now. And I know when it came to rap music, one reason I really dove head first into the pool of rap music. And so this would be early to mid nineties. I'm talking about Nas, Wu-Tang Clan, Mob Deep, Redman, obviously Biggie and Pac. Why I dove boot camp click, by the way, why I dove head deep into that music was because I thought it was fucking cool. Like that was my initiation. And the reason I thought it was cool, I'm not going to lie. It's very simple. My black peers and black friends in high school who I thought were cool as fuck. Some of whom were, some of whom weren't. Now that I look back on it, right? And cool is such a fucking complicated concept. And it's got a long history in this country, by the way, of being associated, what is cool is being associated and appropriating from black culture. But that's why I first told myself, it was almost conscious, I'm not going to lie. And there's some problems with this, I think, maybe, but but we'll address them as we get to them. I told myself, I'm going to find out what's going on with black music, specifically rap music, because all the cool kids like rap music and I want to be a cool kid. And maybe that was subconsciously what I was doing with Bob, but I don't remember. I don't know. But I do know that's the case with rap. And I didn't want to be excluded from the cool conversations. I didn't want to not know what the cool kids, aka the black kids, We're talking about when they were talking about Ilmat and 36 Chambers and the Purple Tape and so on and so forth. Now, thankfully, for someone like myself who took this artificial route to rap music, and I don't know if there's such thing as an organic route to loving music. Maybe there is. Maybe there isn't. That's a question, much bigger question than we have time to address today. Thankfully, I didn't have to. Didn't have to be a poser. Like, the more I got to know rap music, the more I fell in love with it kind of naturally. Like, I was like, this shit is awesome. But I'm not going to lie. My initial reason for becoming a connoisseur, not just a listener, because in many ways, you know, you can be a listener of all different types of genres without being a connoisseur. My initial reasons for wanting to be a connoisseur, for opening up tapes and reading the lyrics was I wanted to be cool and I thought rap was cool and it was and I thought black was cool which it was and there's there's a lot of complex questions that surround that question why is black cool why does America value black culture more than black lives like that's something that that's an entire season of a podcast right there but once again as I thought about my experiences with rap music, a genre of music which I still to this day love as much as Bob. Shout out Apple Music and Spotify. And I know streaming can be problematic in some ways with, with compensation for artists. But Jesus, 21st century technology helps me stay locked into music like I never thought I would be before. But I still love rap music. Love rap music. There's nothing I shouldn't say there's nothing, but there are a few things in my life that get me more excited than Fridays. And not just because they're Fridays, but because Friday is when new music comes out. And there's so much good rap music being produced right now. No, there's so much shitty rap music being produced right now, but that's always been the case of every era in history and every genre. But I still love rap music. But I can't help but wonder. For myself, but also for the millions, the billions of other white people on this planet who adore rap music. What it is that is attracting us to rap music. Because it's the same question I just asked a few moments ago about Bob Marley. And the reason I think the question applies to both rap music and the, the music of Bob slash reggae music. It's not just because we're talking about genres that are dominated by black artists. I know we <laughs> white rappers. Y'all can hear my dog in the background just freaking out over nothing. But the reason I'm asking this question is not just because we're talking about black artists or genres dominated by black artists. It's because I think there's a similar answer. And the answer scares me a little bit. For myself and for the billions of other white people who love Bob Marley and love rap music. And I wonder and I worry if our attraction to these two genres is based in exoticism and stereotyped perceptions of what it means to be black. In other words, and we talked about this a little bit a few episodes ago when I talked about my love of roots and my enjoyment of Malcolm X and Malcolm X's autobiography. Do reggae artists like Bob fit a specific archetype that is safe and comfortable for white people? Do rap artists fit a specific archetype that is safe and comfortable for white people? So if in the case of Bob, it's the exotic African Accented English, weed-smoking black person. In the case of rappers, I don't have to tell my listeners. You know what that archetype is, right? Like the thug, the criminal, the badass. And I can't help but wonder if that's not driving some of the reason that white folks, like myself, promise you I'm not excluding myself at all from this conversation. Can't help but wonder if that's not the reason That so many white boys love Bob Marley and love rap music. And it doesn't mean, by the way, that there aren't other reasons. Because I know my listeners right now, you know, obviously my white listeners, and defensiveness is an understandable reaction to this, this claim. I know some of my white listeners are like, well, no, I like Bob because he fucking is amazing. And his harmonies and melodies are incredible. And I like Bob because he's political and he's pro-black. And I like rap because of the lyricism and the similes and the metaphors and the syntax. And I like the rhythm and the beats. In other words, there are many of my listeners right now who are thinking musically only. I like this music because it is musical. And I am a firm believer that when it comes to taste, like, we don't often choose what we like. We, we think we choose it, but often what we like, whether it's food or music or clothing, chooses us, right? It just speaks to us, and we don't necessarily know why. And if we're being honest with ourselves, at least, no, that's a big ish. But if we're being honest with ourselves, then we like things whether we want to or not. And so I'm not discounting that for myself and for my white listeners, that we like Bob and we like rap music because it's just fucking great music. That can be true. And my hypothesis about how much these two genres fit into a narrative of white supremacy and white power as well. Like both of those can be true. And that maybe there's something subconscious in our love of these two genres because at least we perceive them. I'm not saying these genres do this, although maybe at times they do. And keep in mind that these two genres, like all genres of music, are multifaceted. And when we're talking about popular rap music, we're not necessarily talking about, although this story is changing, I believe, we're not always talking about music that's driven by the artist and music, we're talking about sometimes music that's shaped by record companies white owned record companies who have their own agendas. So I, I understand that, but part of me wonders if it's the white perception of what it, appropriate roles for black folks are that make these two genres so palatable. <coughs> Excuse me, so enjoyable. I got my vaccine by the way, don't I know y'all are tripping, you heard that cough. No got my shot. And and I don't know. Like a lot of this stuff we talk about in this podcast there's unconscious and subconscious layers. And there's the mix of the macro and the micro, your personal experiences with the messages that you're receiving from the media, from advertising, from your peers, from your history books. And so now the question is, the question to the question, right? Why do so many white people love these genres of music, is the, is the question. And I've given you my hypotheses, two of them. One of them is based on just the pure awesomeness of rap and the pure awesomeness of Bob Marley and reggae, but the other one is the more problematic hypothesis that we're we're drawn to these black stereotypes, these black archetypes of the dreadlocked weed smoker, of the drug-selling D-boy. Because there is another question that builds upon those hypotheses. What now? As a white lover of Bob Marley, as a white lover of rap music, what now? What do I do with these hypotheses, whether they're true or not? Because I don't know, at least for myself, if I'll ever get to a definitive answer as to why I love rap so much or why I love Bob Marley so much. But simply by asking those questions, then the follow-up is, well, what do I do with my love of these two genres? And y'all, I think you're going to hate this answer. Because it's, it's straightforward and it's, it's simple, but it's not necessarily easy. And it's borderline cliche, but it's not intended to be. And my answer is just thoughtfulness and Mindfulness. Like, be deliberate in your consumption and enjoyment of not just music, various forms of black music, although that's what we're talking about today. But be be deliberate and thoughtful and mindful of your consumption of all forms of music. That's my solution. And part of being deliberate is what we're doing today. Asking yourself, what is it that draws me to this music? Or what is it that draws me to specific artists within a genre? Like I would love for all of my white listeners that love like hardcore, quote unquote, and I know this term is a bit dated, but all my white listeners who love hardcore gangster rap to ask themselves what it is about that genre that they love or why they think they love that genre. That's part of being mindful and thoughtful and deliberate. It's just interrogating your own consumption, your own engagement, your own enjoyment. That's step one. Why? And I'm not saying you're going to get to a definitive answer. At least I'm not. But I think that's a good starting place. When you're talking about as a white listener who's not just consuming but loving and being a connoisseur of black music, asking yourself why. But even for my white listeners who don't listen to black music or quote-unquote black music, be thoughtful and mindful and deliberate as you consume the Beatles and the Rolling Stones, for instance, and ask yourself why. And then thoughtfulness and mindfulness goes beyond, and it it goes into trying to understand what's, what's happening with the music you're listening to. And once again, this can be done with black or white music. But if you're a fan of Bob Marley and he's talking about Trench Town in every other album, maybe Google what the fuck Trenchtown is. Maybe dig into the Rastafarian religion and not just the weed smoking <gasps> parts. Maybe dig into the history of Ethiopia. In the history of Christianity in Ethiopia, which, by the by, Christianity has been in Ethiopia pretty much longer than it's been anywhere else in the world except Jerusalem. But also dig into the Monroe Doctrine and the Roosevelt Corollary and America's role in dominating the Caribbean and dig into the history of the enslavement of people in Jamaica. And dig into the way black soldiers were used and participated in the US military, both during the Civil War and henceforward, or thenceforward, something forward from that point on. <laughs> dig into the history of maroonage and escaped slaves in Jamaica. Dig into the British Empire. Like, do some fucking research, I guess. And I know that that's once again, maybe not what my audience wants to hear. Like somebody's like, man, fuck, I just want to listen to music. But I really think if you want to be a mindful, responsible, sure, sorry, a responsible listener of this music and not just be a fucking culture vulture, then step one is interrogation of yourself and the music. And then step two is follow that interrogation up. Do some fucking research. And the same goes for rap music. Don't listen to Jay-Z and Nas without looking up the Marcy Projects and the Queensbridge Projects. Queensbridge is the largest federal housing project in the history of this country. Look into the history of federal housing in this country. In the history of the HUD department, which I realize is redundant because HUD stands for housing and urban development. No, that's not redundant. Sorry. See, my brain moving too quick for my own good and definitely for your own listening pleasure. My bad. Look into legacies of systemic housing segregation in this country. Read books like The Color of Law by Richard Rothstein. It'll blow your fucking mind. Look into The criminalization and the inequitable criminalization of crack cocaine usage in the U.S. Look into all of that. Read about the conspiracy theories. I'm not saying believe them all, but dig into it. But also dig into the history of record labels. And who's producing this music that you're consuming? thoughtful, be mindful, be deliberate in your consumption of black culture. Ask yourself, as a white middle class person in the United States, are dreadlocks the best look for me? And your answer might be yes. And I'm not judging that answer. But if you don't do the work and you just are kind of grabbing bits of black culture black cultures as because they're fashionable and trendy then fuck you because I have white friends who have done the work but I know a lot of white folks who don't do the work and just pick and choose bits of black music and you might be asking yourself well so what what's wrong with not doing the work with not being mindful with not understanding the socioeconomic political layers to the music you're listening to. So what? And, and I, my answer to that is twofold. If you're not doing this work, if you're not being mindful and thoughtful and deliberate in your consumption as a white person of black, various forms of black music, then it's going to affect you on a micro level and I think on a macro level too. And it's going to cause you To perpetuate a system of white supremacy, inadvertently or actively. And I'll give you an example. If you're not thoughtful and mindful and deliberate in your consumption of various forms of black music, and you just kind of accept, for instance, that let's say the rap music you listen to, let's say you were just big into 90s hip-hop from New York, and you accept that that's just the representative of a singular black experience, and you don't interrogate that music and interrogate your love for that music and just understand that, okay, some of these stories might be exaggerated, or these stories, even if they are true, only represent the personal experiences of the rapper speaking and not the experiences of everyone, especially every black person, especially every black person in New York, if you don't start to interrogate your love of that music you start to perpetuate these stereotypes in your own personal life. And you start to think because you listen to a lot of rap music created by a lot of black artists that talk about drug uses and the projects in poverty, that that is the singular experience of black people in America. And it's not, obviously, not even close. But if you're not thoughtful and mindful and deliberate in your consumption of rap music... You might start to believe that. And obviously that affects you on a micro level. It affects how you approach every black person in your day-to-day life. It affects how you perceive them, how you interact with them. But it also affects how you vote. It affects your support of criminal justice reform or your opposition to criminal justice reform. You have got to be mindful and thoughtful and deliberate. And once again, I'm speaking to myself as much as I am to you all. You've got to recognize that no matter how much reggae you listen to, no matter how many black rappers you listen to, that this music isn't representative of the whole black experience. And that this music may not even be accurate. And that your love of this music may be driven by things other than the pure musicality of the music. You've got to ask yourself tough questions, And I'm not saying you've got to have Perfectly digestible answers to these questions. These topics are not simple enough to just have a a 30-second answer to. But if you're not mindful and thoughtful and deliberate and interrogating your own beliefs and then following up your interrogations with some research, then your, your appreciation and your consumption of various forms of black music is not progressive. It's not doing anything at best and at worst it's perpetuating stereotypes and perpetuating white supremacy. And I realize as we come to a stopping point in this episode because I'm at a a place mentally with this episode right now guys where I've got about 19 other things I want to say but I realize that We've been, we've been talking about this topic now for 40 or 50 minutes, and so I'm starting to realize that I think I'm going to need some follow-up episodes on black music, on my own personal experiences with black music, on the way that I approached black music in the past, and maybe, hopefully, some of the ways that I've, I've grown more thoughtful and deliberate and mindful myself, but I'll just leave you with one quick anecdote. My freshman year of college at George Mason University, I found out my roommate, before I even met him, was a black kid from New York. And I cannot tell you how excited I was. Because in my mind, he was going to be a weed-smoking thug or semi-thug who loved rap grew up in the projects, who was going to enhance my middle-class white boy street credibility. I was so excited. And then when I met this young man, I don't even remember his name because we we didn't live together the whole year. And we didn't get along and it was all my fault. When I met this young man, this incredibly intelligent, wealthy, classical musician, because of my mindless consumption of rap music, I had trouble even interacting with him because I didn't understand him and I wasn't even able to see him for who he was. I basically, and I didn't know any of this at the time, but looking back when I basically decided that he wasn't really black or he wasn't black enough. And that disappointed colored, that disappointment colored every, every one of our interactions. That's the danger. of mindlessly consuming various forms of black music without interrogating why you're consuming it and what it means to consume it and what messages you're receiving and how you perceive those messages. The danger is it literally affects how you view other human beings. Think about it. I dehumanized this kid. I didn't give myself a chance to get to know him. We barely spoke by the end of the semester. And that was all my fault. My stereotyping of the singularity of what I thought the black experience was didn't allow me to see an actual black man five feet away from me. Didn't allow me to appreciate, to love, to come to know an actual human being. Think about the irony and hypocrisy in that anecdote. My love of black music. And I should say maybe my crush on black music, my mindless infatuation, my lust, that's the word I'm looking for, my lust for black music as a teenager actually made it harder, made it more difficult, more unlikely for me to connect with an actual black person. That's what I want my white listeners to think about as this episode wraps up. Think about why and how you're consuming various parts of various black cultures, and I'm by no means encouraging you to not interact with black cultures. That's the last thing I want you to do, but I want you to be mindful and thoughtful and deliberate like I'm trying to be now, 20 years after that disgusting, disappointing, shameful anecdote I just told you. Like always, y'all, I appreciate your time. I appreciate your feedback. I appreciate you telling others about this podcast. And I appreciate you engaging in the conversation and just listening. Look forward to talking to you again. Still got a few more episodes in season two. I think we're going to talk more about music, but we got high school football coming up. Some other really fascinating, interesting topics to discuss as I continue to explore various journeys into whiteness. Please hit me up. Let me know what you think. You know how to reach me on social media or email me at jameslincoln313 at gmail. Y'all be well, be safe, be thoughtful, be mindful, and we'll talk again soon. All right. Peace and love.